finish. Faith from start to finish. And I want to ask you a question. I've got a little container here with some big goldfish crackers in it. If you were to take a guess, how many goldfish crackers do you think are in this container? This is interactive. You can speak. 48. All right, I've heard some numbers. Anybody else want to take a last guess? 34. Okay. One dollar. <laughs> Let me ask you another question. You don't have to shout this one out, but just think about it. What's your favorite song? Favorite song? I want to ask you a question, one more. When it comes to faith, when it comes to believing this book, and it comes to believing the gospel, is it more like trying to figure out how many crackers are in this container? Or is it more like trying to guess what your favorite song is? Because... If I asked all of you to speak out about your favorite song, and I said, which one of you is right, what would be the answer? You might think you're right, but so does everybody else. But there is a definitive answer to this question. The answer is 50. Did anybody say 50? Huh? Now, every, now everybody in the church said 50. I heard all different numbers. I asked. I'm going to switch my message to thou shalt not lie. All right, well, you guys can fight. I'll give this to whoever said 50. You guys can come fight over it after service. And then I'll preach on loving your neighbor next, next Sunday. All right, but the question is this. The question is this, guys. I didn't make up that illustration. I heard it years ago. And the answer almost always to that question, which one is faith more like, trying to name the number or trying to guess what is their favorite song, the right one, most people say the song. Because they view faith as just this jumbled up idea that everybody has their own opinion about faith and about Jesus and how to get there and how to do right and what He expects of us. And if your way works, great. If your way works, great. And everybody at the end is just happy and hunky-dory. But unfortunately, guys, that's not how this works. That's not at all how it works. If this book is true, and if God did send His Son, who was born in a manger, whose birthday we are celebrating today, if that is absolutely true, then it is much more like an accurate number in that jar than it is everybody just trying to say, my song's right. You see the difference. And I bring that up today because I think many people believe as long as they have some idea of what the story is like, they're okay. And that's not how this goes. There is one truth. And you're going to hear it today. And I pray that you know this truth. God actually gave me this, this message last Sunday morning when Brother George, when you were preaching. You read a verse and it immediately jumped out at me and I couldn't get it off my mind the rest of the day and all this week. And that was Luke chapter 1 verse 45. I've never really paid a whole lot of attention to this verse because it's kind of at the end of the story and George brought out some really good points uh, and I won't bring all those back up again on it. But Luke 1.45 says this, and blessed is she, Elizabeth speaking of Mary, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now what really jumped out at me about that verse as I read it over and as George was talking about it was, 
How many of you, I'll just ask, I hope you brought your Bible, I hope you bring your Bible every week. But if not, when you get home, look at this verse. But how many of you have what's called a reference Bible? That means that in the middle of your Bible in the, in, or at the bottom, there's a bunch of little verses and numbers and all that stuff. You guys got that on your most Bibles do. All right. Well, if you look at verse 45, Luke 145, in front of the word blessed, the second word and blessed or blessed, do you see a little small letter in front of that? Those little small letters, whether it's an X or an A or whatever your Bible is, those are cross-references. It means that when you cross-reference a verse, it's going to take you to another verse that is compatible or comparable to the one you're reading. So I'm going to venture to say that most of the cross-references, no matter what translation you're using, is the same. So if you look in front of that little blessed and you see that letter... And you look over either in the middle column or at the bottom for verse 45. It should reference another verse. What verse is referenced in your Bible? John 20, 29. I would venture to say that's what's in all of your Bible. So I want to read that verse to you. And then I'm going to take you where I feel like the Lord wants me to take you. John 20, 29. Cross-reference to this verse. Jesus said to him, speaking to Thomas, Have you believed... Because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I want to give you three points today. Three classic Baptist three-point sermon. Number one, going back to our text in Luke. Hold your spot and John will be back there. Mary believed without seeing. Notice that Mary believed Without seeing. The, the verse in Luke one forty five says, Blessed is she who believed. Notice the order there. Blessed is she who believed. It doesn't say she was blessed and then believed. It's important that you notice the difference there. Because so often, we feel like if God will just show us, if God will just do something first, then the blessing would come and it would be so much easier for us to believe. We want the answers to come so that we can exercise faith. And that's not how God operates. Never has, never will. And I thought a lot about Why does it seem, I don't know why I thought about this subject, but a lot of people, and understandably so, around this time of year can be depressed, discouraged, unhappy. Because the holidays can be tough on a lot of people, and I'm not at all finding fault with you if that's that's you. But I, I do think that a lot of times believers walk around, for the most part, unhappy. And I thought, why? Why if we have... So many things to be excited about and so many things to rejoice about are believers so often unhappy. Why is that? It seems like a lot of times there's little joy and little peace in the life of so many Christians. And I want to give you a verse this morning, another verse, that is just so full of hope and and just promises it's a wonderful verse romans fifteen thirteen. listen to what it says here 
May the God of hope. <clears throat> May the God of hope. What a, what a great name for God. The God of hope. So many people today need a little hope. And our God has more than enough. Look what it says. May the God of hope <clears throat> fill you. Like he doesn't just give a little bit. It's not just halfway. It's full to the top. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. What's the next two words? In believing. There's the key, guys. There is the key. To know Him as the God of hope. To know Him as the God of hope. And to have Him fill you with His joy and His peace requires you to trust Him. Requires you to believe Him. And when you do so, it says in the rest of that verse, so that by the power of of the Holy Spirit. Again, not only are so many Christians unhappy, but they seem so powerless. And I think our answer lies in these verses. At least to a part, to a degree. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Abound in hope. Full of joy and peace. Abounding in hope. That's not... For just a select few. That is to be the way that we as believers can live our lives on a daily basis. That is what God wants for His children. The blessings of God are these. Not prosperity and material wealth and money and, and, and good health. Those things certainly can come. But these are the things that God wants for His people. Blessed is she... Who believed. If these things are absent from your life, I would guarantee that there's a measure of unbelief in your life that is keeping you from experiencing the things that God wants you to experience. I would almost guarantee it. And yet, people walk around this time of year, I've heard it a million times this year and every year. And what do people say to us? Merry Christmas. Happy holidays merry happy joy it's what we talk about this time of year but yet why don't we experience it we look on christmas morning at all these gifts and all these things under the tree that we've hustled and bustled and scrambled to get and put under there and we think man i just want everything to be perfect for christmas I just want my kids to be happy and get them everything they want. I just want my spouse to like her gift and on and on and on. But you know what I've found over my years, and, and probably if you've lived very long, you'll, you'll say the same thing. All the stuff under the tree is wonderful the morning of, but after a while it loses its luster. And most of the time, the things that we felt like were so important by next Christmas... They've ended up in Goodwill. They're in a yard sale. Or they're just broken. And no longer any good. And they're filling up the landfill at Rumpke. You see how quickly things of this world can, can fail us and fade out. And that's not just stuff. People will fail us. 
Sometimes we put all our hope in a person and that person fails us. And we feel like we'll never again trust, we'll never again have any joy or hope or love because we've been so let down. Even Christmas, today is going to end and we're going to be thinking about New Year's and then after New Year we're going to say, I can't believe it's 2023 and off we go in another race for another year if God gives us that time. You see, time never stops. It doesn't slow down and we're all marching towards eternity. But the blessings of God come through belief. And I want to challenge us this morning to really let God examine our hearts. If some things are missing, if that joy and that peace and that hope is not where it ought to be, where in our lives is unbelief keeping us from experiencing those things? Have we believed that our troubles are bigger than God? That whatever circumstance we're in currently is going to be our circumstance for the rest of life? What is keeping us from trusting God? The blessings come through faith. And that faith has got to be rooted in the unchanging Word of God and an unchanging God Himself. It's not like the illustration I used, what's the favorite song and who is right. We're not all right unless we're all following this as the ultimate source of truth. Mary believed even though she didn't see. But then we look at my second point, and that is Thomas in John chapter 20, and we see the exact opposite. Thomas would not believe until he saw. Mary believed without seeing. Thomas said, I will never believe until I see. Notice he says that in verse, a couple of verses back, John 20, 25. He says there, it says, The other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Man, they were excited. They had seen the risen Savior and they couldn't wait to come and tell everybody about what they had seen. But he, Thomas, said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. He was emphatic. He said, until I can see it with my eyes and until I can touch him, I will never, I don't care what you say, how many sermons you preach, what you do, I will not believe. And some of you are in that same place today. You have allowed unbelief to take such a root in your life that you have told God never about something. About something in your life. You say, I'll never get over this. I'll never forgive. I'll never give a second chance. I'll never serve in church again. I'll never join a church again. I'll never, I'll never, I'll never. That's unbelief. Whatever's happened to you, you have decided that God is not big enough to restore it, to fix it, to overcome it. Thomas said, I will never believe. And here comes Jesus into the room. And just a few verses later, isn't it amazing what happens when you meet Jesus? Isn't it amazing how fast Jesus can change your attitude, change your heart, and change your life? I hope you know that today. Look what he says in verse 28. My Lord and my God. Mukurios kai mutheos is what he says. My Lord and my God. Now don't miss something here. He saw him with his eyes. 
and he touched him with his hands. But it was something much deeper than that that changed his heart. It says in Romans 10.9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. What did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Dead people don't live again unless God raises them. And when Thomas saw Jesus, who had just been hanging on the cross dead a week ago, there was no more doubt. He was the Lord, and He was God. And Thomas's profession of faith, or confession of faith, showed that the man who just said, I will never believe, would now never not believe again. He was changed. And Jesus says to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Think about this for a minute. Everybody in that room with Thomas had seen Jesus with their eyes. All of them. They had seen Him. They had talked with Him and walked with Him. They had touched Him. They had ate with Him. They knew Him personally and intimately. I think that all of us probably can't wait to get to heaven to see Jesus face to face. To fall down at His feet and worship Him. To thank Him. To lay our crown down before Him. But think about this for just a moment. All those men that saw Him, that lived with Him and walked with Him, not a one of them was saved because they saw Him. Every single one of them was saved because they believed in Him. The same way that you and I have to be saved. Seeing is not believing. The Bible says our faith will become sight. You see, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. By grace through faith has always been God's plan of salvation. It's always been by faith. John in his gospel alone makes over a hundred references to believing, not seeing. The emphasis is on belief over and over and over. John writes down the words of Jesus, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You know who falls in that category? Everybody since Jesus went back. Everybody since Jesus ascended. Nobody else except the Apostle Paul saw Jesus after he ascended. Face to face. Maybe, you know, people claim to have seen Him, but recorded in Scripture, we just have Paul. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And notice what John writes after that verse. Verses 30 and 31. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But, these, the things that are written down in the 21 chapters of the Gospel of John, these, he says, things are written, 
Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. We've never seen, none of us in this room, have seen Jesus physically in the flesh. None of us have seen Him. We didn't see Him do miracles personally. We haven't seen Him walk out of the tomb personally. But every single one of those things is recorded in this book. Every single one of them is in here. And if this book has the authority of God and the inspiration of God, then it is more powerful than simply seeing Jesus with our eyes. It carries everything that we need to be saved and to live a life for Jesus Christ. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You have got to decide today, is this enough? Is it what it claims to be? Is the one it testifies of who it claims He is? Are we just here today because we've heard the story of the baby born in a manger and it's become a tradition for us to celebrate that as part of our Christmas day? Or do we really believe it? Do we really believe that God would send His Son, the Word incarnate, that baby in the cradle would become a man who would go to the cross, the sinless Son of God, the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world? Do we believe in that Jesus? Do we trust that Jesus? Or are we still like Thomas? I will never believe until you do this, God. Until you do this, God. And we demand that He meet our expectations. Your joy, your peace, and your hope hinges on what you do with this Jesus. Unbelief will cause you to live an ineffective, miserable life as a believer. Every time something happens, you will fall apart. Because in the back of your mind, you don't really know if God is going to bring you through this one. If God is able to bring you through this one. If God will really do what He says He will do this time. Unbelief holds us back. Which brings me to my last verse that I didn't tell you today. My last point. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8-9. and 9. Mary believed, even though she hadn't seen. Thomas would not believe until he saw. We are called to believe because one day we will see. One day we will see. Now, 1 Peter 1, 8, 9, I don't want to just pluck these verses out of the context. The context of these verses is suffering. Peter is talking about suffering, which all of us to some degree are familiar with, as is everybody that lives in this world. We all have our share of suffering. And I would say, because I've been speaking about faith and unbelief, what is the single biggest cause that people say is a reason for doubt and skepticism when it comes to belief in God? Evil and suffering. If there's a good and loving God, why does He allow evil and suffering? That is probably the biggest question that I always hear from unbelievers and from skeptics, or just believers that are struggling. Why does God allow such suffering and evil 
if he exists. Peter is speaking about suffering. Listen to what he says. Though you have not seen him with your eyes, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice. Notice they're rejoicing. Why? Because they believe. They rejoice with joy that is inexpressible or unspeakable and filled. Sound a little familiar to what we read in Romans? Filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I want you to think about what Peter's saying as we wrap this up. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. How do you love someone you've never seen? I don't know about you, but that's pretty tough. It's easy to love someone who you've seen, who you've gotten to know, who you're close with, who you talk with, who you're around every day. And hopefully to some degree, those things are experiences that you're having with Jesus. But what he said we haven't done is seen him with our eyes. Yet you love him. How is that possible? 1 John 4.19 gives us the answer. We love him because he first loved us. We didn't see him with our eyes. But there's never been a time in your life where God's eyes weren't on you. You ever think about that? You've never seen him, yet God has always seen you. He knows a very number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. He knows every struggle that you face, every sin you've committed, every hope that you have. He created you with a purpose. He created you to be in His image. He's given you gifts as a believer. He's given you opportunities to serve Him. And all those things are possible only by faith. We've not seen Him with our eyes, but we've experienced the love of Jesus Christ when we came to Calvary and saw Him there bleeding and dying for our sins, willingly laying down His life for us. We didn't deserve that. But God loved us so much that He would do that and pay that price for us. Notice what else Peter says. You have not seen Him, but you love Him. You do not now see Him, but you believe in Him. There was a story told of an elderly lady and she really felt moved and burdened to serve in her church's food pantry. And she would show up faithfully no matter what the weather was like, no matter what she felt like, she would go and serve at the food pantry at her church. And one day she was busy in the kitchen moving some things. She fell and broke her leg. And she had to go to the hospital and have surgery. And the pastor came to visit her while she was laid up in the hospital. And she said these words, I know that God led me to do this work for Him. But I do not see why this had to happen, and I cannot see any good coming from it. Have you ever felt that way? God, I've tried to do everything You've asked of me. I'm trying my best to live the life that You want from me, and the harder I try, it seems like the more that I go backwards. First of all, it's not a, a relationship where, and it's not contractual where we do something and God does something for us. Right? That's not how this works. But even if it was, even if, even if that was what we expected and what God offered to us, I want you to hear the pastor's response. I hope it will help you. She said, Lord, I, or Pastor, I don't know why God led me to do this work and I don't see why it happened and how any good could come from this. And he 
opened his Bible to Romans 8.28. And what does Romans 8.28 say? We what? We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Do you see that? We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. It does not say, and we see that all things work together for good. How do we know if we can't see it? By faith. By faith in who? The God who cannot fail. The God who keeps every promise. The God who loves us. The God who is faithful. You see, we don't need to see when our faith is strong enough to trust in the One who has made these promises. If God is who He says He is and we believe who He says He is, then we don't need to see it with our eyes. If we were blind all of our lives, if we were deaf all of our lives, if we were crippled and laid in a bed for all of our lives, if we could see by faith, we wouldn't need the other senses. Because Jesus would be enough. We like to say Jesus is enough, but do we really believe He's enough? Because if He is, our joy and our hope and our peace and all of the things that He promises will be so full that we can't contain them. And I won't have to prompt and prod you to get excited about Jesus. I just won't. And I'm not trying to pick on you about that all the time. But I just want you to have freedom and liberty. If you're miserable and you can't worship, then come and get things right. But if you do have things right, and for whatever reason you just can't show any emotion, I want you to know that there's freedom to be able to do that. You know, I'm not saying that we're just here to put on a show and get ecstatic and roll around in aisles and run around here and do all the things that sometimes I feel like are just sensational and emotional and are not Spirit-led. But I do believe that God has been way too good to us to not raise up a hand and say, praise Jesus and clap and shout and give Him glory. Because I don't know about you, Phyllis, when I get to heaven, I'm not going to go in my little corner way in the back and sit down in front of Him and do this. Amen. I'm going to run around and I'm going to shout. And I, I probably would pull a muscle if I tried to do it this morning. But I'll probably do some cartwheels and backflips. Elizabeth, you think you got some people down there that can do that at the gym? Wait till you see me when I get there. I'm going to put them all to shame. Because I know what He's done for me. And I'm not ashamed. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. And I'm not either. I'm not ashamed. I don't care if I lose friends, gain friends. That's not why I'm in this. I'm in it for Him. And I want to tell people about Jesus and I want them to see Jesus in my life. Do I have bad days? Sure. Do I have doubting days? Sure. Do I have days where I'm down and depressed? Sure. But I refuse... To let that define my life. I refuse to sit around and be miserable all the time and then try to go out and tell people about this great Jesus that I know. They're going to say, well, boy, I don't know about you. You don't look like you have much joy, much happiness. You know? I want to live it out every day. Faith requires surrender. And if we really love Him, we're going to have to trust Him. We're really going to have to trust Him and obey Him. And look at what Peter says will happen if we do that. If we trust Him and obey Him, Peter says that we will rejoice with joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. Let me just break that verse down a little bit for us. Again, to back up my point that I just made about... Because 
Sometimes you think, well, you know, the Bible doesn't really say how we have to worship. We don't have to, Pastor, you don't have to get excited and raise your hands and shout. And, and I agree, you don't. But let me, just, let me just break it down, what these verses are saying here a little bit, and maybe you'll, you'll see that it's okay to do that. He says, rejoice. The root word of that word rejoice means to leap or to jump up, to spring up. That, that's not sitting in your ha- seat on your hands. That's getting up, up off the ground. Rejoice with joy or gladness that is unspeakable. That word means that there's no words that are adequate to describe it. If you can't say it with words, what's the only other way you can show it? By your actions. I might not be able to say a word, but people will know when I'm happy about Jesus. I won't have to say nothing. And if people look at you, they ought to know that you love Jesus if you never say a word. You shouldn't have to go around and tell everybody every day, hey, guess what, I'm a believer. Do you know I'm saved? It's fine if you have the fish on your bumper sticker and your I love, I love Jesus coffee cup. That's fine. But if you tore all that stuff off and threw it in the garbage, people still ought to know. They still ought to know just by looking at you that something is different. Rejoice. Jump up with joy and gladness that is unspeakable, that there are no words to describe it, full of glory. That word in the Greek is where we get our English word doxology. A doxology is a song or a praise to the Lord. Singing songs of joy. Singing songs of praise. Announcing with our mouths the good news of Jesus. That's why we're here today. We're here to celebrate the best news that's ever been told. For unto us this day in the city of David is born unto you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He came 2,000 years ago. He died like He said He would. He rose again the third day like He said He would. He ascended to heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father like He said He would. And if He's done all those things, I will place a bet, if I was a betting man, that the last one when He said, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am there you may also be, I'm going to say there's a 100% guarantee He's coming back for you and me. He's coming back for His church. And Peter ends that verse by saying this, and I believe the NIV is the best translation that I found for what this verse really says at the end of 1 Peter verse 19. It says in the NIV, you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Why do we love God? Because He first loved us. Why do we trust Him? Because His promises have never failed us, even though we have not seen Him with our eyes. But why do we rejoice? Why does that faith lead us to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory? Because He saved our miserable, wretched souls. That's why. That's why we get excited about what Jesus has done for us. He loved us enough that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's why we get excited. As bad as this life gets, I will never ever for a second have to experience the hell that I deserved. Sometimes this life can feel like hell, but believe me, friends, the best day on earth will not compare with the worst day in hell. I'm telling you what, we have been saved from such a horrible fate. 
And we ought to praise God for that every day of our lives. That baby in the manger, the baby that Mary delivered, came for one reason. And that was to lay down his life for the sins of the world. We celebrate when a baby is born and we think, man, I can't wait for him or her to grow up and make memories and do this and do that. This baby was born and from day one, the cross was in front of him. The cross was always on his mind. Everything he did was in obedience to the Father and the Father's will was that he would lay down his life for the sins and sinners of the world. I think about what it will be like when we see Him one day. If you're going to see Him one day. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, He still had the wounds, because Thomas touched Him and saw Him. He still had the wounds, and when we get to heaven, we're going to see Jesus with those same wounds in His hands and His feet and His side. And those wounds are partially there because of me. And they're partially there because of you. Because it was our sins that He paid for. And it was our sins that caused those nails to be driven into His body and that spear to go in His side. And I think it will be a continual eternal reminder for us of the price that He paid so that we could be there with Him for all of eternity. We are called, brothers and sisters, today to believe without seeing. To believe that that baby born in Bethlehem was the Son of God. To believe that He was supernaturally conceived in Mary's womb without sin. To believe that He lived a perfect life of obedience to the Father in all things. And to believe that He laid down His life on that cross for you and I and rose again three days later. That's what this book declares. John said that's enough for us to believe without seeing. Maybe you're still here today saying, I don't know. I just don't know. I need to see it. I need to experience it. I need, I need, I need. I will never believe. You are being brought this morning face to face with the problem in your life. Unbelief. It's a problem for all of us. But until you believe, you cannot be saved. And even as a Christian, until you have faith in your life, you will never experience the things that I have preached to you about this morning. If your joy and your peace and your hope seem to always be ebbing and flowing, if you seem that you can never find it, I would almost guarantee it's because there is unbelief in your life. And you need to go and wage war today against your flesh, against the devil, against whatever it is that is causing that unbelief to keep you from experiencing the life that Jesus has for you. It is an oxymoron for us to walk around and be miserable, defeated Christians continually, all the time. Should not be. It should not be that way. What will you do with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? That will determine your eternity. Acts 4.12 says that there is salvation in none other. For there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Again, I asked you at the beginning. Is your faith more like trying to figure out how many crackers are in the jar? Or whose song... The favorite song is right. This doesn't give us the second option. We can't all be right. All our opinions can't be valid. There's an actual truth, just like there's an actual number in that jar. Jesus is declared to be the only one, the only name given to men by which we must be saved. Do you believe that? The world doesn't, and I don't expect them to. 
But what about you? I don't care what popular opinion says. I don't care what anybody else says. Because when I stand before God, only I am going to have to answer for what I've done. Only I am going to have to answer for what I've believed or not believed. What about you? Are you like Thomas? I will never believe until this happens. Will you fall down on your face today and say, Lord, I know that I am lost and I know that you are the only Savior that is able to forgive me and make me right for heaven. That's where we're at today. I know some of you are ready to get home and open presents, but I pray that before you leave here today, if you've not received that gift, the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ, that you would fall on your face. You say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You're just supposed to come to Him as a needy beggar. If you were starving for food and you found out a place across town was serving a meal, would you worry about what clothes you put on first? Would you worry about having the right speech written out to say? Or would you just show up and say, I'm hungry and I need some food? Jesus is the Savior. And you are a needy sinner. Just show up and say, I've heard what you've done for me and I want it. Forgive me and save me. And that's enough. That's your prayer today. That's all you need to say. Augustine, the church father, said, Faith is to believe what we do not see and the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. If you've trusted Jesus, one of these days you're going to see Him face to face. But until you do, church, walk in faith. Walk according to this Word. Don't let the devil steal another minute of your life. Don't let unbelief keep you prisoner. Don't let anything stop you from serving Jesus. Don't let anything keep you from having joy and peace and assurance. Don't let anything stop you. I don't care how many times it's gotten you in the past. I'm talking about from today forward, go to war with those things. Stop settling for something less. Stop living below the calling that Jesus has for you. I'm going to invite our praise team to come this morning that's singing the invitation song. And I just want to ask you, point blank, if you died tonight, or if you died before you leave this building, are you ready to stand before a holy God? Not I think so, not maybe so, not I hope so. Do you know so? Has there been a time in your life for sure when you met Jesus Christ, and He's come into your life and He's changed you, and the change is evident, the change is in accord with this book, that there is fruit in your life, that there is a desire to serve Him, You're not just following along and doing it because everybody else is doing it. You're not doing it because mom and dad are forcing you to do it. You're doing it because Jesus lives inside of you and that is the most important thing is to please and honor Him. Is that why you do this? I'm not up here today because it's a job. I'm not up here today because I don't have anything better to do on Sunday mornings. Believe me, I can certainly find other things that I can do if I wasn't a Christian. I wouldn't waste my time doing this. And it's exhausting to come in here and pretend to be something you are not. When you can have the real thing today. Are you saved? Is there fruit in your life? And if you're not, friend, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Father, we ask you today to just move in our hearts, Lord. I pray that everyone in this room and everyone watching online is convicted if they need to be, encouraged if they need to be, strengthened if they need to be. But Lord, before we leave this place, I pray that you will burden hearts and souls to make decisions and to get where they need to be today so that we can enter 2023 stronger, better, more equipped, more encouraged, more excited to serve you than we've ever been.
And God, if we don't live to see 2023, we've got eternity ahead of us with you. And that's worth it all. God, move in this invitation. Have your way and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand and as we sing.